Welcome to the First Church Message of the Week podcast. Thanks for listening in. As we step into this new fall season with school and activities back into full swing, we are called to remain focused and faithful to God. In times of transition, it can be hard to look to God. How are we preparing to continue growing closer to God? What are we doing to live like Jesus? We are to live in the reality of who Jesus really is and who God is calling us to be. In this week's message of the week, Pastor Bryce Blank shares from Jude 1 and reminds us that transitions can be stressful, but challenges us to remain focused on a faithful God. Here is the First Church message of the week. So if you can tell by the uh, text on the screen or even the colors, some of you might recognize this phrase as associated to something, maybe even just the colors of that is associated to something. So if you know, keep that in because it's a little bit of foreshadowing for later on in the sermon. But first, please pray with me. Wonderful and constant God who gives us unconditional love. We seek to be transformed by you. And so in doing so, we ask that you would help us to hear what you have to say to us, that the word spoken to us would become alive and would move us to action that we might know what your purpose for us is today. In this we pray. Amen. So have you ever felt stressed before? No. Have you ever felt stressed and you didn't really know why? Maybe you were a bit agitated. You were just kind of on edge. Spouses are like, yeah, I know somebody who has done that before. Well, I was doing a lot of uh, studying and reading this week on stress. And I came across this website called Psych Central. And they seek to share articles um, and inform the public about issues dealing with cognitive health. And they shared this uh, survey that was done, this uh, study, and this survey that was given out used what's called the Social Readjustment Rating Scale. Memorize it, know it, okay. And I'm just kidding, you don't, there's no test. But uh, it's a fancy name for a survey that basically uh, asks people to rate or identify the top stressors in life. And so through this study, they compiled a list and they had a top 10 stressors that people experience in life, things that bring them stress. And so I'm going to share those on the screen. Death of a spouse, divorce, marital separation, being incarcerated, death of a close family member or relative, major personal injury or illness, marriage, being fired or laid off from work. Yeah, that should be a separate one. Uh, marital reconciliation, and retirement. Those are the top 10 things that were identified uh, as major stressors. Now, other studies that I read and articles that I read kind of named a few other different ones in between there. So maybe you were like, oh, I had this super stressful event. It's not on there. It might've been on one of the other lists, but this is generally the consensus um, the studies have shown. Major stressors. And some of those things, if you're like me, were like, yeah, that duh, that makes sense. That would be really stressful. But other things I was kind of surprised to see um, as being stressful. Uh, 
But the, the study that I particularly read um, wanted to note that people experience stress differently and levels of stress differently than others. And so what might be really stressful for someone might not be that stressful for someone else. But they also noted that uh, the more drastic a stressor is or the amount of stressors that someone has uh, really impacts the level of stress, which kind of makes sense, right? Context matters. If you have a lot of little things uh, going on that are causing little bits of stress, it might feel like you have so much on your plate. But similarly, some of those things on the list are big enough enough that they cause huge amounts of stress in your life. So those are important things to know. But what I found throughout all the things I read was one common denominator amongst things that are major stressors, and that is transition. That each of the major stressors we experience generally have to do with some sort of transition. And in a book that I read on pastoral leadership changes in churches, I want to name Pastor Jen and I. No, neither of us are moving. But it's a book about pastoral changes or changes in congregations. And it's written by this guy named Robert Kaler. And he had to say to us on the idea of stress that I, something that I thought was helpful. Whether you are a pastor or a church member, the announcement of a pastoral change is an anxiety-producing moment. Even if the move was expected, a sense of disequilibrium sets in when the theoretical becomes the actual. Now, I find these words to be very true from my personal experience, moving from seminary down in Dallas, Texas, to Watertown, here at my first appointment to join all of you. Uh, that was true, too. I had a sense of anxiety-producing moment when I found out I was going to Watertown. Oh, I'm going to have a big change, but also disequilibrium as I moved from geographically, but also different phases of my life. So I think that is true, what Robert said, about any sort of transition we go through, that anxiety-producing moment and that feeling of disequilibrium as we wrestle with the actual or the idea of and the actual. So whether it's a geographical move, whether it's a job change, whether it's starting school, a new school year, or even a changing of seasons, or maybe it's a health diagnosis that you receive, or a disease or something, all of these produce levels of stress in our, our times of transition that create in us a bit of anxiety as we kind of have disequilibrium in those moments. As someone, <clears throat> excuse me, as someone who has very recently gotten married, I can attest to the truth that I have felt that disequilibrium about the idea of getting married and then actually getting married. And I, <coughs> excuse me, the frog's coming out. I, I keep asking myself, is this real? Am I actually married? Did, did she actually say I do and yes and all the things? Yes, she did. That's why I've, but I feel that I'm waiting for myself to settle back into what I've already always known as a single person. And now living together for the first time and experiencing marriage for the first time, it's, I'm kind of stuck in between what I used to know and my new reality. And in times of transition, we can't go back to what we knew before. We have to keep moving forward. And as Christians, that means we have to stay 
focused on following Christ. We have to stay on the path of discipleship that leads to Christ. And so sometimes we might be tempted to turn away and go to what we had known before Christ, ways of living that are not Christ-like, that are not ways that we are called by God. But we're always called to reorient. And so this transition of dealing with life away from or towards Christ is exactly what the writer of the book of Jude is wrestling with or arguing with today in our text. And so the book of Jude is the shortest book in the Bible. It's one chapter, 25 verses, squeezed in right before Revelation. You blink, you miss it, that type of thing. And over the next two weeks, this week and next week, we're going to explore, if it's so short, why is it important? It was included in our Bible for a reason. It wasn't just overlooked like we sometimes might overlook Jude. I've done that several times. And so what can we learn from the book of Jude for our lives? Now, not much is known about the book of Jude or its writer, but we can see from the opening verses that it is written by an individual named, surprise, Jude. And he is the brother of James. And so we read, Jude, a slave of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called, loved by God the Father, and kept safe by Jesus Christ. May you have more and more mercy, peace, and love. Again, we're unsure of who Jude is, who actually wrote this letter. But as we continue to read Jude, we can tell that it is written by somebody who was maybe a little angry, who had been challenged by their community, and who had felt that Christians had lost their way. And so starting in the third verse, we can see that Jude had one intention when he was beginning to write this letter, but had to change it because of the audience he was writing to. And so he ends up talking about something else. And so we read, Dear friends, I wanted very much to write to you concerning the salvation that we share. Instead, I must write to urge you to fight for the faith delivered once and for all to God's holy people. Godless people have slipped in among you. They turn the grace of our God into unrestrained immorality and deny our only master and Lord, Jesus Christ. Judgment was passed against them a long time ago. He's writing his audience, followers of Jesus, to remain true to their faith, both in thought, in word, and in action, despite the ways that they might be tempted to turn away from their life of faith. This is, this is early Christianity. And so these people are still figuring out what it means to be Christian or Christ-like, how to live their lives. And so it could be very easy to turn away. And as we go on and we read this next verse, which says, I want to remind you of something you already know very well. I feel a tone and you can feel this sense of almost scolding It reminds me of when I was a child and me and my brothers would forget to take out the trash. And my mom would say to us, I want to remind you of something you already know, but today is the day and you know what that means. You have to take out the trash today. No, this day does not change. It's the same every week. Something you should know very well, right? It's like that scolding attitude or tone. 
That's what I read when I read this. I want to remind you of something you already know very well. You should know this. And after this initial pronouncement, Jude goes on to then scold his fellow Christians with almost increasing intensity. Like he's kind of losing his cool a little bit. And he, and he goes and he lists a bunch of examples of people or uh, stories that they that his audience would have known of people who turned away from God and in turn had some sort of judgment on them. Now, some of the examples he uses in this scripture are ones that we would know because they were eventually included in our canon of what we know as the Bible from Genesis and some other books. But there's also examples from here that he uses that we are probably unfamiliar with because they're examples outside of what we know as the Bible. But his audience would have known at the time from the book of Enoch and some other things. And so let's take a look at those and just feel the sense of increasing scrutiny or criticism uh, that he's saying again and again, you should know this very well, these people, this is what happened. Let's take a look. The Lord who once saved the people out of Egypt, later destroyed those who didn't maintain their faith. If you keep going, that'd be great. I remind you too of angels who didn't keep their position of authority, but deserted their own home. The Lord has kept them in eternal chains in the underworld until the judgment of the great day. In the same way, Sodom and Gomorrah and neighboring towns practiced immoral sexual relations and pursued other sexual urges. By undergoing the punishment of eternal fire, they serve as a warning. Yet even knowing this, these dreamers in the same way pollute themselves, reject authority, and slander angels. The archangel Michael, when he argued with the devil about Moses' body, did not dare charge him with slander. And instead he said, The Lord rebuke you. But these people slander whatever they don't understand. They are destroyed by what they know instinctively, as though they were Irrational animals. Irrational animals. He's calling his fellow Christians irrational animals. That level of criticism is pretty intense. But despite the harshness of Jude's words, his point still stands to his audience, that he's calling out that they have not been faithful followers of Jesus and instead have let other practices guide them instead of God. His method might not be helpful, it might not be constructive, but this point of staying true to Christ in transition, I think is a point that is helpful for us as readers today. Now, this is your moment for those who know what the title is, but when I think of the book of Jude, I cannot help myself but think of this contemporary example of transition or the context of what this is we're about to hear is is written in um on august of 19 or in august of 1968 the singer and songwriter paul mccartney you may have heard of him from the english rock band the beatles you may have heard of them wrote a song that was very quickly a number one hit and actually became a number one hit for nine consecutive weeks setting the record for the longest amount of time that a song was at the time on a number one hit and that song is, if you hadn't guessed yet, Hey Jude, and was written by Paul McCartney to his bandmate, John Lennon's son, Julian. And John Lennon was going through a divorce 
And so Paul McCartney wrote this song on the way out to visit his son Julian as a way to bring about comfort to the son whose parents were getting divorced. And originally the song was written as Hey Julian, but originally changed to Hey Jude because Paul McCartney said it sounded better. And I'll admit that I have listened to this song several times over the last couple of weeks, but I still get a bit lost in the lyrics. But what strikes me as the most powerful part of this song is the tone in which Paul is singing this, especially knowing the context that he's singing to someone, a child, whose parents are being divorced. You can feel a tone of comfort coming from him. You can feel the passion and compassion from Paul McCartney. And as we know that oftentimes in uh, when a family in a family that gets divorced, the, the children are really the ones who experience a lot of or the most long-term impacts. They have the hardest time through that. And I'm not casting any judgment on those who uh, get a divorce, but I'm saying that sometimes we overlook the children who are in this, who are involved in the situation, going through a time of hurt. And so knowing that Paul McCartney identified this person as someone, he, he didn't reach out to John Lennon, who was his bandmate, but his son in this time to bring him comfort, to offer him peace. And so I want to uh, have us listen to the first verse, which ends up being uh, kind of like the chorus or the, um, that it keeps coming back to. And these words get changed a little bit as the song progresses, but you can feel the essence. If you've never heard this song of what Paul is expressing in comfort to this young child, Julian. Hey Jude, don't make it bad. Take a sad song and make it better. Remember start to make it better the essence of what paul mccartney is singing out to young julian is one that's an act of love he wants to show love to this kid who is going through hurt and that act of love for me i find inspiring but i think it also points us to the love of christ that christ has for those who are going through a hard time who often might be overlooked at times, who are not seen and who don't have a voice. And it's this essence or this tone of comfort in Paul recognizing someone who is hurting that I think we are called to. This spirit of care and supportive, comforting love. And so it's in this attitude then I invite us to turn back to Jude with that tone in mind. Because as we discovered, Jude was a pretty stressed out guy. He was a bit angry about what he saw with the followers of Jesus around him. And again, we don't know who those people were. We don't exactly know what they did, what sin they might have done, or what, what way they would have turned from the, being followers of Christ. But we, knew, we know still that it is something that upset Jude. And so on some level, I imagine that we can relate to Jude that we have looked around our world and questioned what people are doing. We have seen people who aren't acting Christ-like or showing the love of Christ, and we've questioned, what are you doing? How can you act like this? Can't you see what happens to people who turn away from God? 
Jesus is the answer. But why do you act this way? Right? We could probably identify. We might have gotten frustrated or angry at someone or something we've seen before. But on the other side, I think we can also relate to the audience of Jude's letter. The people who have done something wrong or who have been un-Christ-like, because I think all of us have been un-Christ-like at one point or another. We know that none of us are perfect. We know that we have messed up a time or two. We know that we have said the wrong thing, that we have unintentionally hurt someone we loved or cared for. We know that despite how many times we try to turn away from that habit or that behavior, we have at times reverted back to ways that are not showing God's love. And so putting ourselves in those shoes as the audience who might have, who recognize that we are imperfect, I think helps us to to find the problem maybe in Jude's method of chastising proclamation or criticism towards his audience. Because while Jude is pointing out a wrong being done or our way of living not Christ-like, which is helpful to be reminded of when we do stray from the path, I would argue that his method of doing so is not helpful. And one of the commentaries that I read in preparation for this sermon called the Prefeture's Bible Handbook stated this about Jude. They stated that the letter of Jude is best understood as 26 insults in search of a target. That's pretty, that's pretty good, right? Uh, 26 insults in search of a target. And I think if we are the target we know that we don't really take to insults very well. We don't take that as constructive criticism, right? If we're being challenged to turn away from a behavior that we have, if somebody insults us, we're probably more likely to dig in more than we are to change. And so I kind of want to take this spirit that Paul McCartney has of care and love expressed to someone. And I want to offer that to Jude. I want to take Jude and say, Hey Jude, don't make it bad. Take this sad song, take this this group of people who you are upset with, who you are angry with, and try to make them better. But first, remember to let them into your heart because then you can start to make it better. We, along with Jude, have a lesson to learn that in times of transition, and especially when we have more on our plate or we're trying to adapt to new changes or experiences or rhythms of life, we have to make room for grace. We have to make room for grace both for others, but also for ourselves. When we look around at our world and we feel that we might get uh, angry or stressed or we might cast judgment towards others, we have to try to be constructive and helpful and care-filled. We have to let others know who Jesus is, and we have to remind ourselves of who Jesus is. We have to show our hearts and let others know Jesus. And so we want to stay the course as followers of Jesus. We want to live our lives guided by God. But there will be times when ourselves or those around us will go off course. And in those moments, when we are stressed to the max, we have to offer comfort like Paul McCartney did instead of criticism, instead of judging someone or cutting them down. 
We have to offer comfort based in love. Now, I want to share one final story with you, a, a personal story that I think helps capture the essence or the tone uh, of what I'm trying to convey today. My now wife, Megan, moved to Watertown last winter. And when she did, it was kind of a hard transition for both of us because that was the first time that either of us had lived in the same town or city before. Before that, we had been doing long distance from all different places. And first time we were living in the same place together, but also the first time we had that much time around each other on a daily basis. And on top of that, we had a lot of stressors going on because both of us had been in less than a year of starting new jobs. We had moved to new places, her from Dallas, Texas, me from Rapid City, and we were leaving behind our communities that we knew, our families. We were in this place alone together for the first time. So it was a lot of stressors. And during those first couple of months that Megan moved to Watertown, we had a lot of disagreements, just little ones, but disagreements. And what I mean by that is that I found plenty of ways to pick at her and to criticize her and what she was doing and saying, none of which were really justified, by the way. And on one particular evening, we were driving somewhere and I offered yet again another unhelpful criticism to something she said. And it was at that moment that she asked me to stop the car, which for those of you who know, not a good thing, right? So I pulled the car over on a side street and again, it's dark. Uh, but in the darkness of our car sitting there, she told me something that I, I will never forget. She said, hey, Bryce, kind of like, hey, Jude, hey, Bryce, I know that you're stressed out and that we have a lot going on, but you can't keep criticizing every little thing I do. We both have left a lot behind to be together and we don't have anyone else to turn to. You and I are on the same team. And we can't help each other out if we keep taking our frustrations and our stress out on each other. Life is not always going to be easy and things will go wrong, but we have to be on the same team. So let's help each other out. And like I said, I'll never forget that conversation and that moment because it was a moment where Megan could have easily torn me down, could have criticized me for getting at her all the time. She could have let out her frustrations, but instead she showed me a way of moving forward together. And it's in that spirit that I think points us to God as a way to move forward together. God provides us with comfort and care when we are stressed out to the max and we're frustrated, we want to let it out. But it's that spirit that we need to be able to move forward. And so, especially as we anticipate times of transition, times of change that are ahead of us, life stressors that I listed or that you already listed in your heads that we'll experience, we want to be faithful to God, right? And so we have to always seek to move forward with grace, seeking to be brought closer to Christ and leaving room for God's redeeming work. Because that is the reality that Jesus is for us. And that is the reality of who God is calling us to be as his people in the world. Let us pray.
loving God. We know that we struggle sometimes, big time, with the challenges that we face, with the transitions that we go through, with the stressors of life. And so we ask that in those transitions, in those times when we feel like we just want to tear somebody else down, when we want to criticize or offer a hateful word instead of a loving one, we ask that you would remind us of your love for us, of who we are as your children, and that what we might have within us, we might dig deep within us to find not a response that tears someone down, but one that live, that builds someone up. One like Paul McCartney offering a word of care, of comfort, especially to those who are hurting and in pain. God, ultimately let us be molded by you today and what we have heard as you have spoken to our hearts. In this we pray, amen. Thanks for joining us for the First Church Message of the Week. To stay connected, subscribe to this podcast and follow us on Facebook. For more information like our church calendar, worship times, and upcoming events, visit our website at watertownfirst.church. This has been the First Church Message of the Week.